everybody. Welcome back to Fortune's Wheelhouse. And we are now starting our four-part series on the elements as viewed in esoteric tarot. So today we're going to be dealing with fire. We're going to go fire, water, air, earth, which is the order we always go in, in esoteric tarot. And the cards that we're going to cover are several because elements appear in nearly every card, except for, I guess you could say, the planetary ones. And there's even an argument for that. there's even an argument for that. Right. Because, you know, Sun and Mars, I think, are definitely... For sure. Right. We can argue about Jupiter, but Mars and Sun for sure. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So we're going to be dealing with the Judgment or Eon card, which is the major of elemental fire. And then we'll be dealing with the three zodiacal majors of fire, which would be the Emperor, Strength or Lust, and Temperance or Art. Lots of alternate titles in here. (laughs) And then we're going to be dealing with the entire suit of wands. As well as you can kind of consider the kings or Thoth knights as being the fiery part of their suit. So we can kind of just talk about that briefly, I guess. And I guess the cards. (laughs) It's a lot of cards. I mean, I think we'll. We don't have to like, you know, go deep dive into everything. It's basically, uh, you know, a, a quarter, <laughs> a quarter of, the, of deck. the deck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. And if we're going to talk about Mars and Sun, of course, that would be the Tower and the Sun. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk first, I guess, about elemental qualities. And these derive originally from the Greek philosophers. Um, we're talking about like 400, 500 BC. Elemental theory starts, I think, with Empedocles and... Hippocrates, who had the sort of medicinal uh, view of the four elements as they arise in the human body. And then, you know, Plato actually assigned a name, stoicheion, to to describe an element. That's the Greek term for it. And then finally, with Aristotle, by the time you get to like 350 BC, he's talking about combining the four into sort of a fifth entity called the quintessence. Um, Yeah, and then we also have some of the alchemists of like the 14, 1500s who, who start more explorations on the elements for both physical, medical, and alchemy purposes. Right, and the spirit that arises from them. So uh, the qualities of fire are easy. <laughs> They're hot and dry. Nobody would dispute that. And it's interesting because we always describe the elements with two descriptors like that, but they're kind of based on you know, these pairs of opposites. So fire is always hot and water is definitely wet. But when it comes to dry and cold, mm, it gets a little bit confusing because typically dry and cold are both ascribed to earth and air is supposed to be hot and moist, but it really depends on who you ask. So anyway, hot and dry for sure with fire. (laughs) And uh, in terms of dignity, it shares its mode, its, you know, polarity with air, because air is also supposed to be hot, both rise. Air is supposed to be hot and moist versus fire being hot and dry. Yeah, Uh, I think the rising and descending are important considerations with the four elements. And, you know, that's even reflected in their symbols, you know, the upward triangle for fire and the downward triangle for water and um, likewise Mm -hmm. for air and earth, because air and fire are considered to to rise, whereas both water and earth are supposed to descend. So they, you know, one thing I read was because 
rain comes down, it's returning to its home, which is below or something like that. And because fire goes up, it's returning to its home, which is above. So, you know, Mm. one goes up, one goes down. Right. And the only difference between the fire and the aeroglyph, of course, is that line in the middle of the triangle, which I've seen as being kind of that sort of eternal separation between air and earth, like they never meet kind of a thing. Mm. And that's why the line's there. I'm not sure if that's, you know, that's well, just that's, one that's, explanation. That's an interesting point because, you know, you said air and air and earth don't meet, but they also, also fire and water don't meet in the sense. So you mm-hmm. know how we're going fire, mm-hmm. water, air, earth, which yeah. is the yeah. Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh four world kind of order. But there's another order that you see a lot in the um, the classical where they do it, consider the earth as, you know, a globe, right? Here we mm-hmm. are, that's the bottom level. And above that is water the water on top of the earth and above that level is air and the highest level is fire. Right. So, you know, the, the, it's not the same order and there's always this buffer of air between fire and water because fire and water are opposites. And like, that's like the the air is both what you get when you combine fire and water in the Mm -hmm. sense of like steam, you get this Mm -hmm. like air effect, but also it's like a, a buffer between these two incompatible Elements. So you've got the celestial region region above, where like the sun, the stars, which are a form of fire mm-hmm. above, and then that's where also they they say meteors are transitional fire instead of like fixed permanent fire. And then you have the air, the buffer, and then you have the water, and then you have the earth as the lowest level. But what I find really interesting looking at that model is like. The connection between, so earth is the lowest and fire is the highest, just like in the traditional order. But there's also that like transition of fire to earth, like through spirit. And I was think looking mm-hmm. at that model and thinking, and this is never really mentioned, but if you think about it, below earth in that level is yes. fire again, because what's at the core of the earth? Yes, but yes. a big fiery ball of molten goo. And, you know, so, so I mean, so it's almost like fire is above and fire is below. You have the earth fire and you have the star fire. Right. Kind of like I don't know the, the divine wisdom and the the more human wisdom or energy or something. Because fire mm-hmm. is basically energy. So it's. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Just some and- musings I had looking at that, going, oh, well, but but fire is also below us as well as the highest level above us. Yes, that makes a lot of sense because, well, there is a thing about fire and earth. I mean, like fire and air in terms of elemental dignity as we use them in the tarot, fire and air go together. They're friendly. They're considered friendly in the same way that water and earth are considered friendly. Because air feeds fire. Exactly. Or can blow it out. But yeah. (laughs) But but fire and earth are interesting as a combination because they are. You know, I mean, it's like we think of them as the highest and the lowest. But again, you said, you know, there's this sort of thing where you can sort of imagine them inverted. And also fire kind of depends on on Earth in a way. I mean, fire. Right. Right. It's fuel. Fire needs matter as its fuel. Exactly. And the thing about fire is that it is fleeting because it consumes. It consumes itself. And then when it's done consuming, it's gone. So, you know, it depends on that matter to sustain itself. And I think there is a sort of profound mystery in that in the way that the cycle renews. You descend fire, water, air, earth, but it's the earth that fuels the fire. Earth as in matter. Yep. And that's an interesting thing, too. I mean, when you think about like 
wood. <laughs> you know, when you right. think about wood as fuel, it's earthen. But when you think about wood as that green fuse, you know, that's live, then it's fire. And, right. uh, and both are true. Yeah, fire is interesting because it's, you know, they say fire is the energy and fire is transmutation because it takes one substance and it turns it into another. But it's actually like transmutation in both directions because not only will fire take something and, you know, consume it and turn it into something else, whether it light or heat or, or ash or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever transmutation is happening. But it is said that everything derived from fire originally, like that spark or something, mm -hmm. the Big Bang or, or whatever. And so it both creates and destroys. Yes, yes. There's something just always incipient about fire. And that's even reflected, I think, in the idea, I mean, we'll certainly get into this with the Kabbalah, but also in its power of the Sphinx, you know, to will, it is right. the thing that begins everything. Yeah, it's and it's definitely like, really self will, like you think about mm -hmm. will, yeah, to will, but it's implied the self, but that's really important with fire. It really is a self oriented energy. Yeah, and it doesn't respond to anything else. <laughs> you know, yes, nothing exactly. else is there. <laughs> exactly. It's not going to be worried about feelings or about um, <laughs> reason, the mind, or about practicalities. It's just got its passion and its desire and its inspiration and its, you know, it, its desire to, to change and innovate and self-willed things. It's not going to be worried about feelings, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I was kind of looking through some of the astrological keywords that kind of go with the element of fire. And, you know, we think of courage and vision, heat and energy, purpose, mm -hmm. things that arise from the independent spirit. Creativity. It's got, you know, purification, which can be both creative mm -hmm. or destructive, you know. Um, I like the word transmutation for it because basically transmutation is changing from one form to another, and that's kind of what fire does. And if you even look at the symbol for fire, it's an upward triangle, right? And that's also mm -hmm. the symbol for a change because it's the Greek delta. When mm -hmm. I used to do accountings, one of the things that I always did as kind of a shorthand is whenever you made a change in your like work papers, you'd put mm -hmm. a little triangle there, and that was mm -hmm. just that's kind of like a shorthand to mean change. And so mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting that, you know, the delta change is the same as the symbol for fire. Absolutely. And in calculus, you use delta to represent the difference between it's the same thing. You know, if we think about the like three signs associated with fire, Aries, Leo and Sagittarius, you know, that's the ram, the lion and the archer. And I think that's really interesting because it sort of it encapsulates that creative and destructive potential. Mm -hmm. of those signs. The ram, of course, being famous for its aggressive energy, its drive to mate. Right. You the headbutting. The headbutting, exactly. The, the head headbutting the and the rutting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then the lion, of course, just being powerfully steadfast and king right. at all regal. times. And regal. Powerful. Strong. And, you know, and there's an air of imminence or maintenance about it of just prevailing by existing, by being superior, simply by, by being alive, you know, and all of the metaphors of kingship that go with the lion and its sort of solar associations. Uh, and then the archer, you know, one thing that's been interesting to think about for me, just thinking about it more through tarot, is that it really is, you know, it's a death 
dealing weapon, <laughs> you know, the bow. <laughs> and so, you know, when I think about... Well, they all are weapons in general. Dealing. Yes, yes, all weapons are death dealing. Yeah. But I mean, thinking about this cycle of creation, destruction, the archer is a destructive force in a way. That's interesting because it's also a healing force because when I think mm-hmm. of the archer, I also think of Chiron, the centaur, who you know, and, and yes. I think of Asclepius, the healer, all of which are kind of tied into the Sagittarian. So it's got mm-hmm. both going on, you know, just like fire itself. It's got the, the healing That's right. and purification right. and, and, and life-giving stuff, but it's also got the destruction aspect. Exactly, exactly. It kind of goes on both ends. And, you know, by sort of looking at those three cards, the emperor, strength or lust and temperance, we can kind of see the way that story can be told in two different ways. I mean, I often think that stories of fire and tarot are stories of epic heroism and adventure and becoming your own, you know, becoming your own myth. And that can end in fame or tragedy. You know, it can kind of the story, the story is compelling either way. um, Archetypally, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of Homeric epic, because I'm doing a project on that right now, and thinking about the idea of Cleos of glory, which is always described as undying, Cleos Aftiton. And it's interesting that fire gives us a way to not die, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, to become immortal through fame or, I mean, the, the language of alchemy, which of course is associated with the temperance card, is all about not dying at mm. some level. To look at those three majors a little bit more closely, I mean, I I kind of associate the emperor, strength or lust and temperance or art with kind of three stages of that hero's journey. So the emperor. mm -hmm. It's kind of encapsulated in their mottos, actually, you know. Yes. I am, I will, I aim. That's the whole trajectory there. Yeah, yeah. And I think of that, the emperor as sort of having to do with that ambition, that initial drive, you know, the drive to conquer, whereas the uh, strength or lust card with going public, with being seen, with expressing that life and burning with it and being radiant with it. And then to me, you can think of the temperance or art card as the great work, the, the legend that forms out of it how to become a legend, how to become your own personal myth. And I think that that's a question that always comes up when you're looking at the Judgment or Eon card, you know, which some people find very difficult to interpret because it's so big. But I think it's a challenge or a confrontation. Yeah, a challenge to to ask yourself, what is your personal myth? What is it that you mean to bring forth in this lifetime before you leave it? You know, what is your, right. what are What's you here to do? Picture? What ha- what were you meant to do that you haven't done yet? I find that that is a very focusing and clarifying quest when the Judgment or Eon card comes up because it does tie into those questions of will. Right. What is what your is true you will? regret if you didn't do? <laughs> the judgment day comes. <laughs> <laughs> when we say do what you will, it's not do what you want, right? <laughs> you know, it's not exactly that. It's what is the big thing, you know, that you're here to do that you've been avoiding because, well, for whatever reason, I mean, there's a million reasons not to do the thing you're meant to do. And most of the reasons in the long run don't matter. The majors of fire 
Well, we could just briefly mention, you know, the sun and Mars, you know, if you talk about the signs, Aries, Leo and Sagittarius, that Mm -hmm. would be the tower, you know, for Mars Mm -hmm. ruling Aries and the sun ruling Leo. And then you, Jupiter is, you know, that's the only iffy one. Would you consider that a card of fire? Because the sun and Mars definitely, I mean, the sun is literally Lord of the fire of the world. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you see people um, ascribing Jupiter to fire, especially in the more traditional texts. Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, sometimes Jupiter's air, right? So Mm -hmm. definitely there's this quality of um, maybe that's part of the whole and, you know, it's the, it's the mutable sign where it's about to change. Right. So the planet ruling it is kind of borderline fire, you know. It's, uh, right. can be fire if you consider it the ruler of Sagittarius, but generally speaking, it's considered air for its and expansive qualities, I guess. And it is, you know, a hot gas giant. <laughs> it's interesting, like, the whole, like, fire, water, air, and earth. We were talking about the rising and sinking. And that's, you know, when you think about what happens... When you burn something, what fire is doing is it's transmuting, changing matter to heat and light. And in the process, the smoke, air, rises mm-hmm. and the ash, earth, sinks. So that's right. kind of kind of interesting anyway. It is interesting. And there's also, oh, something else I read that was kind of interesting is that um, I think he was a alchemist and doctor who said that... Um, there are like three substances of matter itself. And he says, if he, get, he gave the example of wood and he said, what burns is sulfur and what smokes is mercurious and what becomes ash mm. is salt. And mm. I thought, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and that's an important point too. Like it kind of leads into the fact that just in general, these elements aren't pure really in themselves because every element can change and does change in nature to the other elements. They're not like a fixed thing that exists like purely on their own. Right. And they're not just physical as well. They have uh, metaphysical right. qualities that help us understand them. Yes. I was just breaking my brain a little while ago looking at Robert Wang's Hermetic Kabbalah. And on page 43, he breaks elements into five, no, six different categories, primordial elements, primal elements, transitional mm. elements, specific elements, astral elements, and base elements. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah who needs it? <laughs> who fucking needs it? <laughs> but anyway, uh, if y'all want to go check that out, it's in there. <laughs> I, I generally find that, you know, it's interesting to kind of study these fractal breakdowns that we do in esotericism. But when it comes to doing a reading, sometimes it's better to let it just be a big soup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in terms of the, the minors, the minors, so we have the two, three, and four of wands associated with the emperor. Don't forget the ace. And the ace, of course. Yes, the ace, the throne of the suit. We have the ace and the then root. we have the root or the seed you know, is another way to, or the crown, <laughs> right? <laughs> kind of these sort of what seem to be mutually incompatible metaphors, which somehow make sense. <laughs> and then we have the decanic minors, the 
two, three, and four of wands associated with the emperor. So that's dominion, virtue, and completion. Uh, Sorry, Aries. Yep. And the five, six, and seven of wands associated with Leo and the strength or lust card. That's strife, victory, and valor. And then the eight, nine, and 10 associated with Sagittarius and the temperance or art card. And, you know, it's interesting because in tarot, they seem to trace a very particular arc. I mean, we talk about the potential creation and destruction qualities of fire, but in this story, it goes literally from dominion to victory to oppression, starting with the beginning of the beginning, the middle of the middle, and then the end of the end. So I kind of think of that as a journey of conquest in the Aries minors, followed by sort of contest or contesting and competition being in the spotlight in the Leo cards, and then all of it coming to an end, a kind of um, mythic collapse for good or ill in the 8, 9, and 10 of wands. Yeah, another way to express like kind of the same thing you said, but in a different way is that the dominion or the Aries energy is, you know, declaring oneself kind Mm -hmm. of a self declaration. And then in the Leo part of the journey, you have this expression, finding of an expression of your true will. And Mm -hmm. then the, the end, the Sagittarius part of the wands journey, you are aiming for a goal and, and, and hopefully hitting that target. Yes, yes, or even transmitting it onto the next generation if we right, use the, the Chiron moving, model. Mm-hmm. You're releasing that arrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Re- releasing that arrow exactly into whatever its destination is. One thing that I thought about kind of recently when writing 36 Secrets was that the Ten of Wands, it reminds me of the bundle of sticks that was used to represent the sort of ancient idea of fascism. The bundle of sticks is known as the fasces, and it used to hold an axe in it. So that idea of oppression and sort of overwhelming power and fascism kind of go all together with that idea for me. But it can also be just the fire burning itself out, you know, to the embers and completing its cycle, you know. And right. using yeah. up all its fuel. And uh, and the story being done. And then, you know, the hero, his mortal part having been burned off in the refining fire of judgment, the hero rises and is transmuted into the sky or whatever it is that, that heroes do after they're done. <laughs> And I also think of that moment as poignant because it also falls at the end of our calendar year, the Ten of Wands, as uh, Mm. the last of Sagittarius. So, Right, the the, low point of the sun's journey here in the northern hemisphere anyway. Yeah, I think the story of fire really tells that, you know, the story of life in a very compact and instinctive way because it happens to be pegged to our calendar, at least in the northern hemisphere so well. Spring through summer to winter. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, I don't want to give the ace short shrift, but I think it's always worth pointing out that that ace, you know, when we see it, it's natural will, right, as opposed to invoked will, which is the sword. And that life force that it represents, we see it because it's not a dead piece of wood, right? (laughs) It is a living piece of wood. It's pure potential. Right. And even though it's separate from the tree, you know, it is alive because that's the paradox, you know, because it is bursting with its own vitality. And that's why the yodes are falling from it in the Rider Waite Smith card. 
it has that correlation with Yod as the sort of like first letter of the Tetragrammaton and the source of all creation. So one thing I thought was interesting is just to look at the Deccan constellations uh-huh. for those for those signs. So in Aries, the um, three Deccan constellations would be Andromeda, which is shared with Pisces because it, there's kind of some overlap there. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of Andromeda, Cassiopeia, and Cassiopeia's throne called the throne. So those three constellations are of Aries. And so there's mm-hmm. probably some mythology there that is, is relevant mm-hmm. to the you know, the tail. And then if you get go to Leo, we've got, of course, the, the Leo constellation, of Leo course. Minor. We've got part of Ursa Major, the mm-hmm. tail of the bear part. Um, we've got one called Canis Venatici, uh, which mm. is the hunting dogs, which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense. And then for Sagittarius, we have one called Ara, the altar. We have Corona mm-hmm. Australis, the southern crown, and we have Lyra, the lyre. So it's a nice little trajectory. It sounds um, interesting in terms of the potential mythologies that could correlate. You could totally construct some very interesting narratives out of those. Yeah. For sure. Let's see. Oh, we should talk a little bit about court cards and the way... Yeah, the um, blending of the elements, (laughs) the 16 sub-elements. Yes, yes, and how complicated that is. But... um, but, you know, so all court cards belong to their suits. So all Juan's court cards are fiery. But also we have the rankings by elements. So all right-of-weight kings or thoth knights are fiery. All queens are watery. All right-of-weight knights or thoth princes are airy. And all pages or princesses are earthy. When we talk about the knights or kings in as being the fiery part of their suit, the fiery part of fire, the fiery part of water, etc. That's interesting, right? Because they are their their two main decans are mutable and fire has that fleeting quality about it. I think that it's the brightness, the inspirational qualities of fire in a metaphysical way, the way that a king or knight can and inspire. The, the penetrating quality of fire. The sudden insight into what needs to be done, the vision or the sort of leadership abilities. And this is not necessarily huge on follow through, <laughs> you know. I mean the right, it's definitely a flash type of thing. Like so the you know, the, the Thoth mm-hmm. knights are on horseback. There's this sense of like surging forward. But you can only surge for so long. There's even something else I was thinking about, you know, with the suits. We have Aries, and I think of Aries, okay, they're kind of like the blunt weapon, you know, the club or what are the lance or whatever. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, then in um, Leo cards, it's more of the actual wand, you know, the directing the will mm-hmm. completely. And then in the Sagittarius cards, well, obviously it's the arrow. And um, mm-hmm. the arrow mm-hmm. symbolos- symbolism in Buddhism has to do with the the sudden enlightenment is it, they they symbolize that by the arrow so mm. i thought that was kind of interesting it's also interesting that you know when you look at the um sort of medieval conception of the influence of the planets they're always holding a dart which is you know a form of arrow in their right hand and that dart is 
what they're is it sending a dart in quotations. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, but which is also apt. But you know, but that's what they're sending down into the material plane. You know, the divine influence that is going to cause something to happen. So it has that initiative quality as the arrow. And I also think of like when I think of kings or knights as being fiery. I also think of them having an executive function. I mean, if you think of what an executive does in a corporation, she or he is supposed to have the vision. They don't do all the work, right? right. They set the plan. They definitely don't. <laughs> you know, they just tell everyone, this is a good idea. This is the direction I have in mind yes, for the company. This the is my vision. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not, you know, the turning the, they're not turning the wheels on the bicycle here. Yeah. But they're steering the ship. You know, yeah. somebody's got to be in charge. That is an important thing for an executive to understand in a way. You know, it's like it's not your job to micromanage every little thing. It's your job to make sure that overall the vision and the principles are going in the direction that you want them to. Yeah. We haven't really talked about, you know, there's fire of fire, fire of water, fire of air, fire of earth, and mm -hmm. likewise through the rest of the whole thing. So in a sense, the most fiery court card would be the fire of fire card, which is the Knight of Wands. King of Wands and Rider-Waite-Smith. Yeah, and I think that that's really interesting. I mean, I often think of that card as being, you know, the one that you follow out of confusion or darkness. You know, this is someone who has a lot of charisma, most likely. Right. I always think of that one as like the, the horse bursting out of the gate at the, in the horse race, the first yes. horse out of the gate. <laughs> That's, you know. That's right. The one who sets the pace. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of nice given the sort of horse associations of the Sagittarius archetype. And it's interesting because you can have those qualities in the other ones as well, but they are, you know, mediated by the suit in some way. Can be the fire suit modified by the rank, or it can be the rank modified by the fire suit. Right. I mean, and like, if you think of what's the fiery part of water, which drives people nuts, right? Because they're opposites. But you do have spiritual leadership. You do have people who are inspiring in, in a way that right. kind of so gets you where you live cups, spiritually. The right. part of water, the one who I think of as kind of like the holy grail questing knight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, inspirational or spiritual guru could be as well. And sometimes we use them as patron of the arts because of the association of... With inspiration. Uh, yeah. Yes, exactly, with works of art. So there's a way to do that. There's a way to apply the fiery part to all the kings of Rider-Waite-Smith or Knights of Thoth. Yeah, so that's interesting then. So then if we go through just the, the wands courts, you know, we talked about the knight, but then the queen, that would be the watery part of fire. And that's mm -hmm. the more, I don't know, you know, reflective part of fire. So I often think of that being the being true. There's, there's the a desire, flame. there's a desire with the watery parts of each suit to, you know, connect and find the pattern um, and to build bridges and make meaning with others. And I think that that is true of the Queen of Wands, certainly that she, you know, she sees her own reflection, but she also sees the fire in everyone else as well. 
for her to me, like in comparison with the night, it seems like a, a quality more of internal fire mm. than external fire of the night. Like the night is like mm-hmm. bursting out of the gate. He's very yang, very forward, you know, very penetrating. Then, mm-hmm. then the queen is more like that internal, like Shakti inner fire. And there's an awareness of her inner fire, too. I mean, I think that's what right. what makes her so hot, you know? <laughs> there's, right. a, there's that sense of her own aliveness as seen through the eyes of others as well. Yeah, there's a receptivity, a fiery receptivity. And then we get the prince, or I guess in Ride right Away the, the Night, night. Mm-hmm. but the prince of wands, air of fire. Mm-hmm. Again, you think about okay, what does air do to fire? It blows yeah. it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, always, I always think of the, the Prince of Wands as being like this kind of like, he's bursting through a hoop of fire. Whee! Look at me. Whoosh, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. A, or that moment where, you know, you take a bellows and you shoot it into the fire and it rises up a couple feet, you know, like, whoosh. That's the prince action. <laughs> yes, and it, it is explosive like that. When fire is suddenly given access to air or oxygen, right. it burns so brightly. It's like, and, look at me here, I, how bright I am. Which is both quality of the air combining with fire, but also that sort of Leo center of attention being in the spotlight thing. And then you have the Earth of Fire, the Princess or Page of Wands, which is, you know, interesting right. also because there is a chemistry in that card for sure. She's a force of nature. <laughs> yes. And I think that she really kind of encapsulates that idea that the fuel is required for the fire to burn. You know, I mean, you can kind of think of that as well in the in the Niter King of Pentacles. But to me, that's like the potential potential in a way, you know, it's sort of like the huge stack of cordwood. (laughs) It's both the potential and like the ability, I think of earth of fire, it's the fuel for sure. But you could also Mm -hmm. look at it as the other end, like the ability to actually manifest that. That's what I mean. Inspiration or vision. Yes, yes, right, yes. Which you need exactly. the fuel to do. So it's, yeah. If I think of the Knight of Discs or King of Pentacles as the stacked cordwood, I think of the Page of Wands as being like the match or the ignition, you know? It's sort of like there's a little bit of, <laughs> there's some earth in there to, to hold the flame, but it's the purpose is to set things on fire. Right. Fire, there's a hunger. For you know? sure. Because what does fire do? It consumes the uh, the fuel, the matter, the earth. So it's definitely a hunger, desirous. You know, you think of flames and they just want going to consume everything in their path. That's right. And that's why I think, you know, in terms of the metaphysical qualities of fire, we think of fire as being associated with the drives, the drive to live, the drive to eat, the appetites, the drive to have sex, the libido, you know, it's all that kind of hunger that goes with being alive. Yep. Yeah. I found fire the hardest element to understand when I was first beginning to read because it's so basic. You know, it's it's just who we are, you know? Whereas it's easy to say, you know, water is emotions and air is thoughts and and earth is things, but the desire to be alive, we're so imbued with it that we don't even think about it. Right. It's literally part of us because we are alive. Right. You know, animating spark. Yeah. Over the years, it's become easier for me to see that maybe just from being older, you see the life trajectory of people and how their ambitions and their lusts and hungers and drives shape their lives, but harder to see when you're young. 
Shall we As talk? As is about- most. As is most. Right? <laughs> Youth, it's wasted on the young. <laughs> so shall we do some Kabbalah here? Oh, um, I guess so. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because well, it's, it's a little bit confusing always talking about the concept of the number four in Kabbalah because we've got, we've got the four worlds, we've got the Tetragrammaton, we've got the four elements, but they are kind of tied in with the three mother letters. So you've got different letters that are associated with these concepts of four. But maybe just to start with the four worlds, Atzilut is associated with the element of fire, and it is sometimes translated as proximity, nearness to God, and sometimes as nothingness, because it's the nothingness out of which everything arises. I guess that Lon Milo Duquette likes to talk about it in his sort of metaphor of the production of chairs, <laughs> you know, as the lowest world, Asiya is the, is the world of actual chairs. The, the right. world of Yetzirah is the world of b- blueprints, blueprints of chairs, yeah. right? And angels drawing archetypes of chairs and right. the world of Bria is the inventor you know for chairs the need for chairs the excitement the idea of a chair the concept of a chair of all seating devices in general but then in Atsilut at the sort of highest level where everything is sort of uh, sublime and intertwined it's just this sort of amorphous desire for rest (laughs) for sitting down (laughs) i can relate (laughs) yes yes so you know it's like if you can imagine that 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 very first impulse that desire for something again that hunger that we were talking about yeah and then eventually it will manifest in the form of a chair you can sit your ass down in but (laughs) you know at the beginning it's just oh i'm so tired you know right so at the basic level it's just need yes it's just need and then the need need. gets defined and then the need gets blueprinted out and then the need gets manifested (laughs) manufactured and made real and concretized yeah you know so in terms of the letters associated with i I suppose since we're talking about four worlds we should talk about tetragrammaton yod hey vav hey of which the the first world the fiery world would be yod it's interesting that just a couple words about tetragrammaton in review is that First of all, it's not to be pronounced, right? So you can spell it out like yod hey vav hey, but more typically in Judaism, people will say Hashem, which means the name, the fourfold name of God, or Hashem Foresh, the special name, uh, or they will say Adonai. You you can just look at it, and even though it doesn't spell Adonai, you say Adonai. And in fact, what in scriptural text they'll do is they'll put the vowel points underneath with the letters for you know, indicating those sounds in Adonai, which is how later on people started reading it as Yehovah, because it has those um, vowels from Adonai. But you know, what's interesting is that if you take the Yod and all it represents, the secret of creation, the sort of spark, the divine impulse, the secret seed, exactly. And you take that and then you separate it off from the hey vav hey hey vav hey spells hovet which is the the present moment um and it is a reminder that 
you have the divine and the present moment and that it's continually forming. This is the whole idea of the tree of life. It is creation, but it's creation that is in process. It's constantly being formed. It's not done. Mm. It's not right. finished. Right. <laughs> right. We had the, the big bang, but it's not like things are, have stopped moving since then. Exactly. And the other thing about Yod is that you know, every letter begins with Yod in a sense. You know, it's it's the just the point. It's part of every other letter. The number is 10, so like the 10 fingers of the hand. And then we also have that sort of idea that the Yod, it's in the highest point of the tree in Keter, but the sort of um, swirly, <laughs> the tail, <laughs> you know, is reaching down into the next level. It's descending into the realm of the nights. Right. It is there to connect us with the divine. And I love that a yod looks like a flame. It does. It does. Yeah. It's kind of represents both the divine reaching towards us and our aspiration towards the divine as well. And then there's that connection to earth because it's also the letter of the hermit card. That's right. uh, Yeah. And which it brings it back to that, you know, a little reflection I had about the fire within the earth, which is a lot to do with Virgo yes. in a sense, yes. like below the earth's crust, what's below. What's confusing is that we also have the three mother letters, which are keyed to the fire, water, and air elements. So we talk about Shin, uh, letter Shin as associated with eon or judgment. And Shin is an interesting one because it's associated with the idea of atonement and penitence and Yom Kippur. So, you know, there's a connection with the judgment or eon card, but it's also, you know, it has a bunch of other meanings too, like tooth, you know, that's one that we use all the time. That's a, that's a good one in terms of the idea of fire being hunger and appetite and, Mm -hmm. you know, in the fire of digestion. Yeah. That breaks things down, the fire energy of breaking down. Yeah, that, that energy of appetite and eating, yeah, and consumption. Uh, another is steadfastness. Another is change for the good. The idea of return and the idea of year, which is all seem, you know, at first unrelated, but they have this I kind know, of... change definitely we've already covered. And, yeah, and yeah they there's kind a of cosmic cycle kind of thing yep. going on. With the judgment card, which is, again, why it's kind of hard to perceive when you're in the middle of it. But just as people do on, you know, on Yom Kippur, it forces you to kind of take a step back and self-evaluate. How is your life going? Are you doing what you're meant to do? Oh, and it's worth noting, since we talked about Atsilut, we should note that in terms of colors, which are kind of the next thing on our list, it's the colors of Atsilut, which are shown as paths on the model of the tree of life usually right mm-hmm. so we combine the, the colors majors, the majors colors. the major path yeah the 22 paths are colored in atzilut colors whereas the sephirot the 10 sephirot are colored in bria colors because simply because it's balancing those polarities the male and the female the you know the active and receptive uh, into one model and, right. you know, how would we describe the colors of Atsilut? You know, the colors of Briar are kind of easy. They're, they're, they're very opaque and solid and, and. Yeah, the, the colors are more like the colors of natural, the natural world. What's a good example of it? So we would have, if we look at, let's see, Hokma being, uh, blue, you know, the sky, the sky goes, 
sky gods, the sky is blue. The colors of Atsalut do seem to be very celestial colors in a way, you know, and radiant. I'm looking at sort of the Sephirot colors of, you know, brilliance isn't even a color, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Well, all the aces are, yeah. Well, you get once you get down into the lower worlds, they're at least white instead of just brilliance. Do you have pure soft blue, crimson, deep violet, orange, clear pink, rose, amber, violet, purple, indigo? They do seem like all colors you would see either in the sky or at the sunrise and sunset, you know? Right, exactly. Then when you get into the path colors, you often see descriptors like glowing, you know, like glowing orange, scarlet or bright pale yellow. You know, there's a there's a quality of light in them that we don't necessarily see elsewhere. You know, in, in Atsilut, we see these sort of pure, there's a purity and a radiance to it. And then when we get down to Asiya, there's a, you know, the, the colors of earth, there's a quality of being mixed and flecked and speckled and kind of productively contaminated. <laughs> you know, Crowley has a section in 777 on the um, different scales of color. He says, you know, he lists it one through 10. He's talking about the Sephiroth rather than the paths, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. um, but, he, you know, he says brilliance represents the colorless luminosity of Kether. Mm -hmm. The blue is that of the sky. The crimson represents blood. The deep violet is Episcopal. <laughs> Episcopal. Orange is the energy of the sun. The rose is that of dawn. Mm. Amber is the voluptuousness of Aphrodite. <laughs> That's beautiful. So he's kind of connecting it to these sort of mythic themes or, yeah. or cosmic themes. That's an interesting difference between the Atsaluth colors and the Bria colors or the King and Queen scale colors is uh, the... Um, he says that the king scale colors are the transparent as opposed to the reflected colors. Oh, and that makes sense. Yeah. They're like the ones coming from divine above. And then in the queen scale, they're being received and reflected back. Yes. Yes. That makes a great deal of sense. Yes. Just look at the, the, the minor colors for the king scale. Mm -hmm. The 10 colors for the 10 Sephiroth are Brilliance, pure soft blue, crimson, deep violet, orange, clear pink rose, amber, violet, indigo, and yellow. But mm -hmm. basically we're starting with, you know, white and kether with the ace, or brilliance mm -hmm. actually, not even white. Mm -hmm. And then we're going into the um, the two and three, the supernals. So it's between the, the pure soft blue, like a sky blue, mm -hmm. sky god type of thing, to the crimson, which is, you know, the red blood. Right, and then when you combine them, you get into the deep violet. Right, and then, yeah, the, the very next one, the four, mm -hmm. is deep violet. And then you get the orange, which is the five, which is the uh, solar energy of Gevora, the, the fire energy. The, the martial um, energy of Gevora? Right. Well, mm -hmm. it's, yes. But, it, but orange mm -hmm. as the color is solar derived. Mm -hmm. Orange yeah. is the color of the energy of the sun. Mm -hmm. And so right. in, it's manifesting in the five through the martial, mm -hmm. you know, right. energy. And then you get the six, the clear pink rose, which I imagine that you could combine the deep violet and orange and get something approximating that, that of the kind of that. And, and that's definitely the, the solar energy because it's Tiferet. Mm -hmm. Then the seven amber, that's, that's the Venusian voluptuousness he was uh, talking about, right. the amber of... Aphrodite's honeyed thighs, or however he'd put it. <laughs> then uh, the violet in, in eight for Hode, 
the indigo in nine, which would be Yasod, and then the yellow in in ten, which is the uh, the manifestation of this. It's interesting because the ten is yellow, so it's like that's a very solar fire color. Yes, isn't it? yes, it is. So yeah. the, the, it's like yeah. the manifestation of the the entire fire suit right there is, yeah, is right. back back to itself, basically. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, when you get to Malkut and Altsilut, the bottom sephirot and kind of ties it back up into yellow, that's almost like, you know, we think of yellow as also being the heart of Briah, the of Tiferet. So it's almost like you can think of that yellow as being translated into the next world and to powering it. Into the and also the you can tie it back in a sense. Now, this is mm-hmm. kind of just free association, but we think of yellow as the color of our sun, kind of. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If a kid draws yeah. a sun, he's going to grab the yellow crayon and right. draw this yellow sun. And, you know, we started out with white brilliance from above, which... Mm-hmm. Keter, but you know, if you if you look up, what's the white brilliance from above? It's the sun, you know. It's, it's important to sort of like think about that as yellow being the translated version of brilliance because it's really prominent in the Atzilut scales. You have it both in Malkut in the Sephira, but also in as the color of the Atzilutic path of the fool and the magician. You know, bright pale yellow for the fool and yellow for the magician. So yeah, in, um, in art, I mean, besides that. white, which is really considered the absence of color, it's the color mm-hmm. that contains the most light, mm-hmm. yellow. And by the time we get to the colors of Asiya, the yellow never really appears except as flecks and rays. Yeah, you know? or kind of muddied as citrine. Yeah. Oh, and one thing we should mention around colors and the elements is that when we get to the court cards, there aren't really the same you know, color scales, it's all, they're all just in colors of fire. So all the court cards are going to be just in the colors of their element, basically. And it's interesting, you know, I find with court cards, even though, (laughs) you know, we go to great effort to sort of parse out their specific decans and signs, I always like to mention that in readings, they tend to correspond to people's elements, but not necessarily their signs specifically. I've I've seen, you know. Oh, I've when seen... referring to people, you mean? Yeah. Like, like yeah. when they show up as people and not as a. Exactly. You know, it will situation. turn out that the Queen of Wands is Aries or Leo or Sag, you know. You right, know, right. These people will turn she's up. She's a as... type rather than a, right. a sign. I don't know. That's just for me. And I suppose it's different for every reader. Other people might get more specific results, but I always find that they're very, uh, very accurate in referring to element as opposed to sign. (laughs) Yeah. Myths of fire. I didn't really go deeply into this, but maybe you did. I mean, my favorite myth of fire to use to illustrate the Empress strength, lust, temperance, art cycle Aries Leo Sag is the the Heracles or Hercules myth. <laughs> I, was, I definitely had yeah. him down. <laughs> yeah, because it starts with, you know, child of Zeus, the emperor, kind of a thing, you know, with his prodigious literal strength. The 1JJ tower actually has Hercules on it, battling the Nemean lion, which is right. And the 12 labors, you can think of that as kind of correlate to the, the sun's mm. journey through the 12 signs. Ooh, I like that a lot. definitely a journey of fire, you know? Definitely. He's a super solar hero. And yeah. then the, the, the whole temperance thing, it's interesting because his ending is very much a Sagittarian ending. You know, there's the, uh, he gets into this 
uh, quarrel with the centaur Nessus. Yes. Who, you know, he's, who's, who's raping Poisoned his wife. By his arrow. Right. So, so he shoots Nessus. So there's that arrow, but also Nessus's blood is connected collected by hercules wife and she's told by him well if your husband ever strays then this will make him faithful to you so she takes the blood-soaked shirt and when hercules inevitably strays she puts it on him and he burns up so you know that seems (laughs) you know apt in a way so i mean he burns up you know he's burns up metaphorically he's dying from from the venom but he asks to be placed on a pyre so his mortal body can be relieved of its suffering and you know as that mortal body is burned away zeus you know brings him the immortal portion of him up to olympus so again that's the refining fire of judgment at work there at the end of life yeah i can i definitely see in the in the hercules or heracles character traits of aries leo and sagittarius for in the, in the sure. stories all yeah. of them yeah it's a really good one for that yeah. I mean, if you even look at some of the Deccan imagery for Aries and for the degree specific degree symbols, I think the first degree of Aries, like the very first degree of Aries in, in at least one of the degree symbolisms is mm-hmm. a man with a club and you know, yeah. very yes, much that's sounds right. like Hercules. <laughs> Absolutely. Got another good one that I thought was good because it kind of ties into that whole idea of fire as being related to uh, appetite and... um digestion mm-hmm. and you know appetite mm-hmm. um, and shin tooth and all that logi is a norse god and the mm-hmm. name literally means flame mm-hmm. so he's their god of fire and an interesting uh myth around logi is that he had an eating contest with yes. loki <laughs> so loki and logi mm-hmm. had an eating contest and at, and at first they were evenly matched when it came to you know devouring the meat mm-hmm. but logi ultimately won because he consume the bones and the wooden trencher it was served on. That's right. That's right. That was the contest with the giants where Loki was challenged to undergo these ordeals that were disguised as sort of ordinary sized challenges. But how can you beat the concept of fire when it comes to consuming anything? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Interesting. Then we've got a lot of other great fire gods. Um, one that I have liked working with lately is Agni. Going to bring up Agni. Yeah. Vedic god of fire. The one that accepts the sacrifice when you put your devotional offerings into the flame. Mm -hmm. And um, said to have three forms. Some say Agni dwells in the sun, but some say that Agni is the terrestrial fire, uh, where Indra is the intermediate fire, and the sun, Surya, is the celestial fire. But Pretty much all agree that Agni is the literal fire that has seven, some say five tongues, some say seven tongues. But mm-hmm. one thing I've been doing lately occasionally is something called fire yoga. And it's not, mm. you know, like it's not the yoga where you're like doing it in a hot room and you're sweating. It's yeah. basically you're feeding items into a fire devotionally as a practice of you're you're offering parts of the self really oh, to the fire. How interesting! With each of yeah. the each of the items you you put in the fire and consume in the mantras you say, you're you're offering parts of the self to the divine. That's been um, really fun to do. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, that sounds profound. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so some other fiery gods, Horus. 
fiery. Mm-hmm. Hephaestus <laughs> or Vulcan, the blacksmith. Pele, the volcano goddess. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, who else? Hestia, goddess of the hearth fire. Mm, yes. And Vesta, yes. the tender of the flame. Helios and Apollo, sun gods. Prometheus, mm-hmm. carrier of fire to mankind. Bridget is associated with fire. All those uh, cross-quarter festivals where you set things on fire and bring it into your house. (laughs) Almost every festival involves burning something, it seems like. It's all on fire. It's all pyromania. Northern Hemisphere pyromania. (laughs) (laughs) Every time there's one of those holidays and and my husband asks asks what it's about, I just say, it's like all the rest of them, it's fire and fucking. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, another interesting is that uh, Bridget, I guess, you know, she's she's associated with other things that we associate with fire, like inspiration and poetry mm-hmm. and arts and stuff. And she also supposedly had a sister that was a blacksmith um, and that was sort of an underworld goddess. That makes me realize that also as a fire god, we have Hades. And per- yes, the thonic or, fire. Mm-hmm. Right, the thonic mm-hmm. fire, the association mm-hmm. with the judgment card yeah. coming up from yeah. below. Uh, then we have, of course, Ra, another sun god, and Sekhmet, mm-hmm. the lioness, is a very fiery goddess. Chandi, a form of Durga, is extremely fiery. And, Not uh, to mention Babylon herself. Right, Babylon and Wadjet. Uh, mm-hmm. Egyptian serpent goddess who burns her enemies. <laughs> yes, true. I mean, you have to have gods and goddesses of fire because fire is the first thing. It's ontologically prior to everything. It is the forces of life. And, you know, what would you worship if not starting with that? Yeah, yeah fire is literally considered divinity in so many cultures. The eternal flame. One thing that Agrippa says about fire, he, there's a kind of a wonderful paragraph in the first book. He says, it's active, powerful, invisibly present in all things at once. It will not be affronted or opposed, lest, as it were, in a way of revenge. It will reduce on a sudden things into obedience to itself, incomprehensible, impalpable, not lessened, most rich in all dispensations of itself. Fire is the boundless and mischievous part of the nature of things, it being a question whether it destroys or produceth most mm. things, which is, again, you know, so much of what we've been talking about. It's, it's animating and consuming force. Along those lines, it's associated with the choleric temperament, which is, you know, the fierce or quick or angry temperament, which is supposed to be based on yellow choler. Yeah, um, that's to do with the liver and... Mm-hmm. Bile, which that's interesting because that you know that's also digestion, yeah, and appetite and purification. The liver purifies in the body, and it's mm-hmm. ruled by Sagittarius. That's right. It's associated with the sense of sight because fire, of course, produces light by which we see the foremost of the of the senses. This is one thing I didn't really know so much about, but. There's a sort of breakdown of the four sort of human faculties in Agrippa, understanding, reason, imagination, and the senses. So understanding would be fire. You know, imagination is water, reason is air, and of course the senses are earth, which makes all kinds of sense. Makes sense, yeah. Then we have, it's associated, I guess we're familiar with this from the Lesser Banishing Ritual. It's associated with summer. And the South, which for us in the Northern Hemisphere makes all sorts of sense because fire's hot. And the idea of noon, you know, the sun being high in the sky. Right. So that would 
correspond to Hathor in the... And it's supposed to be associated with, you know, Archangel Michael. You know, these archangelic correspondences have all sorts of people fighting over them. But this is Michael as the fiery warrior, the soldier, the sword bearer, Yeah, I think the, the dragon biggest confusion slayer. around Michael and fire. I mean, we obviously place Michael in the south with, with the mm-hmm. fire direction in the lesser banishing mm-hmm. ritual. But the fact that he carries a sword, you know, you're like, yeah. oh, air. Yeah, but he killed a dragon, so fire. Yes, fire. <laughs> it's also interesting to think about, like, again, fire is a metaphysical quality. It is said to rule the seeds of plants. So, you know, the leaves are juicy, so watery, the oh, roots yeah. are All earthy. All that energy in the seed is the fire, yeah. Exactly. All that potential. Plants that are associated with fire tend to be martial and solar, as you'd expect. Things that are thorny or spicy or pungent. Um, right. Or on the solar side, things that are golden or radiant, you know, yep. or or turn towards the sun. And then animals, animals are said to have fiery natures generally, you know, um, if, if our fire of life is extinguished, we die. But also, more specifically, salamanders, of course, and lions, crickets. Yeah, salamanders are strange because, you know, on in here in, on Earth, when you think of a salamander, yeah. it's always in, in the wet damp places um but i guess the fire that salamanders live in are supposed to be the essential spirit fire and not literal fire well i thought that maybe it's not the literal salamander but maybe sort of a mythical idea of a creature you know but it's based on something Mm -hmm. something that they maybe they saw some kind of reptile as opposed to amphibian, you know, basking in the those, sun. You know, you know those little orange ones we see all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. could be. They're, they're, could they're, be. They are the fire colors. They're orange with red dots on them. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the other three elementals, it's salamanders and undines and you know sylphs and gnomes. gnomes. Yeah, and yeah. when have you ever seen <laughs> any of those? So, you right. know? <laughs> when was the last time you saw a gnome? <laughs> right. Thunderbolts are obviously fiery pyrites in metals. Flints, asbestos, which is interesting because it literally means doesn't burn. Gold, but if you think of the gold, solar influences. Of course. Yes, absolutely gold. Um, Fire I guess, opal. Yeah, maybe iron too for Mars, you know? Yep. So All in the right. body, I would think of it as being the solar things like the heart. Yes. Probably the eyes for the sight and and the solar plexus or Manipura chakra where the the inner fire is in the Mm -hmm. belly kind of thing. Right. The kundalini. Spiraling serpent force. The snakes of the sun. Yep. Definitely dragons. Yeah, dragons for sure. I'd consider dragon's blood and frankincense as being kind of fiery. um, Oh, absolutely. Um, Fiery scents. Frankincense, above all, you know, um, is the solar radiant force. Uh, Saffron, of course, although that's sometimes considered Jupiterian, too, for its expansive properties. I've often seen rosemary as solar. Well, Jupiter (laughs) is a Sagittarius thing, so that's, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can can go there. We've got, you know, for weapons or implements, obviously the wand. Mm -hmm. But also Mm -hmm. things like the club and the spear and the lance and the arrow and the crucible and the... (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of the heating devices. Literally everything in my household that had to do with heat failed in the month of March, <laughs> February and March, like the furnace. Really? Yeah, that the sucks. toaster, the oven, the yeah. uh, the dryer. 
Could you relate it to your you know, astrology chart in any way? I think I did at some point. I don't remember exactly what was going on. Even my iron died, of all things. So, Weird. Yeah, it was really strange. It's all did okay you feel now. your own personal inner fire depleted at that time, too? On the contrary. My inner fire seemed to be burning high. Maybe it was maybe, uh, taking up all the fire. All out of those <laughs> yes, yes, perhaps I did. <laughs> at that speaking of the the powers and magical things the powers for the aeon eon or judgment card mm-hmm. are evocation oh, pyromancy yeah. pyromancy love that invisibility yeah. which is yeah. interesting because he's talking about it as being seen yeah. transformations which makes sense we've been talking mm-hmm. all about that and vision of the genius yeah so, yeah so that, that makes that a lot makes of sense, sense with the will and the true will and the discovery and usage of that. All right. So that concludes our discussion of the element of fire. Thank you, everybody, for coming along on this incendiary journey with us as our conflagration burns to its embers. We will be back next time with the element of water as it appears in esoteric tarot. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you then.